Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I am your host, Kamal Murray. And this week, we are nearing the end of the Aussie Open. We saw an Aussie Open that is still exciting despite the absence of Novak Djokovic. We saw Madison Keys have an exciting resurgence, smiling throughout the entire tournament, the return of that big serve, big forehand with a little bit more patience that we've seen from her in the past couple of years. We see Ash Barty making it all the way through to the semis with a tough match against Madison coming up. Will she be the first Aussie woman in 43 years to win a Grand Slam title? We're getting close to finding out. On the men's side, we saw a tough draw with Nick Kyrgios reaching Medvedev in the second round, but still finding a way to stay relevant in his Australian Open by going far in doubles and making it exciting and having fun uh, with his buddies in Asikakanakis. And with the absence of Novak Djokovic, we all knew it was a clear path to the title for, for, for Rafa Nadal. And we are seeing that through to the semis with a with routine win over uh, Shapovalov, and he's looking good. But one of the stories that I'm most excited about is the resurgence of Gael Monfils. This is one of the most electric players on tour, one of the most talented players we've seen in a long time, and probably the most nimble and best athlete on the men's side, starting to take shape, looks like he's enjoying the game again, and got all the way through to the quarters. If this is an indicator of what kind of year he's going to have, I'm going to bring out my popcorn because I'm getting excited. But since we didn't have a chance to see Novak these last two weeks, we thought we'd bring on some secret members of his team. We always hear about Novak and his, his stats and this edge. He always looks so prepared. And I've sat in the players' lounge and wondered, who are those dudes in the corner? They're not on anybody's team. They got these laptops open. They're not in the players' box. You sort of wonder who they are and how they got there. Well, you're going to hear it. We're hearing from Gordon Euling and Brett Holden. These are some of the statisticians that helps Novak get prepared, uh, get his edge, and become close to one of the greatest players of all time. Let's take a listen and see what insights they give us as to Novak, his preparation, and his tactics that he employs. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I am your host, Mal Murray, and today we have some special guests. You know, as, as a coach on tour, the days are stressful. You try to, you got to practice twice, especially at a Grand Slam. You're hitting twice, uh, making sure everything's all set with your player, doing a little scouting for the next match. And at the end of the day, the coach needs a drink. So you go down to the lobby of the hotel and you sit at the bar. And some people you sit next to are interesting and they know what they're talking about. And some people you sit next to and you're like, eh, that guy doesn't know anything about tennis, right? He's just babysitting a pro. And so these two guys are guys that you sit at a bar in the lobby of a hotel 
and you leave with like, damn, those guys actually kind of get it, right? And, and I actually took something that could help my player for the next day. So we are here with uh, Gordon Euling and Brett Hobden. They are two of the new analytics gurus, some of the secret sauce behind some of the world's greatest players, such as Novak and Casper Ruud and Grigor. Uh, and so I want to welcome to the show and I'll let them sort of, you know, go into it. So welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Kavu. Yeah. So Gordon, tell yeah. us about your ascent and tenor. Because I'll be honest, right? When I see you on site, you're kind of like moseying around, not necessarily like tied to a player, but just like around. I'm like, <laughs> hey, who's that dude over there? You know what I mean? And who's the dude with the computer, right? That's sitting there crunching numbers. Is he like, you know, what's his what's what's his deal, right? And so. Tell us about sort of how you got into the mix. Well, it's a it's a long story, but I know we only have about 35 minutes, but here we go. I'll get a <laughs> shot. Uh, you know what? I, I've always had a deep passion for the game of tennis, and I've also had a, a, a big passion for creating teams and finding the brilliance in other people and, and having them say, wait a minute, you guys got to meet each other kind of thing and connecting people. And, and uh, I guess it's a, a sense of humility. Like, for me, it's, it's not about me at all. I like to be behind the scenes, to be, be honest. So even being on these kind of shows, it's, I'm not doing it to fill my own bucket or ego. It's, it's really the team and, and, uh, and creating an environment that is re really helpful for the player ultimately, right? So if we can empower coaches and empower parents and empower the tennis community to, to live or, or, or be even more successful in the game and be more excited about the game, that gets me going. Right. And, and I and I've always found that the combination of of experience with the, the whole objectivity of the game. So the art of coaching plus sports science equaling magic. And, you know, one, one of the things that I, I you know, I met Brett Hobden about five years ago. Tommy Haas, who's a dear friend of mine, took me aside and said, you know, what, Gord, what you're doing in tennis is inspiring. I love what you're doing, you know, and, and connecting people and you got to meet this guy, Brett Hobden. I'm like, Brett Hobden? I, I know a lot of guys out there. I don't know who Brett Hobden is. He says, well, you know what? In my opinion, he's one of the brightest minds I've ever met in the game of tennis. And coming from Tommy Haas, I'm like, okay, Tommy, you got my attention. Let, let, me, let me meet Mr. Brett Hobden. And he said, well, you know, Brett actually coached me when I was 13 to 16 years old. It was one of the kind of the key moments of my, my junior tennis that kind of – set me up and he also worked with Agassi from 18 to 21 you know and I'm like wow okay and he had these systems it's called system five and it really uh gave order to the game and and I just think you, you guys should meet so when I met you know through you know Tom we went out to dinner and I'm like oh my god I, I love what this guy's talking about and and again having the humility of saying you know I've been there done that I've heard a a lot, I've talked to a lot of people in those bars in the hotels, <laughs> right? And, and I, I've been there. You know, I, I feel pretty confident about my tennis IQ and, and so on and so forth. But I got to say, all of a sudden when I'm listening to, to Brett, I'm like, wow, these are some insights that haven't really been covered in my mind. I mean, they peripherally, but not specifically. And that's where, you know, when, when Brett shared these things, I said, you know, Brett, we got we to gotta join forces because I'll tell you what, we could do some huge things in the game of tennis with technology and also our experience and really help people and, and help guide people and not tell people what to do, but give them more of a reference and a big picture 
so they can do their their brilliance because everybody has their own brilliance and, and ways of doing things. We don't want to tell coaches how to coach, but if we give a framework and we give them some insights that can and tools and technology that we're in the middle of developing, that could be powerful. And that's where you know he, he had a technology that for analytics that blew me away. And we're like, oh, do we give this to parents to be able to do because the parents have a lot of time to click buttons? I said, no, 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 we can't do that because they're, they're just going to inevitably click the wrong buttons and say this is too complicated. But I said, you know what we could do, though? We could start with the number one player in the world. Now, that's a risk because the number one player in the world, they can all they could do is go down from one. However, <laughs> what if we took the number one player in the world who's a dear friend and said, let's let's show him this and then see where he goes. And what if he did even better than what he was doing within being number one in the world? That was two years ago. And he's had a nice little uh, run since. And by the way, you know, there, there are people out there like Craig O'Shaughnessy, who's a dear friend. And I introduced Craig to Novak five years ago, five, five, six years ago, because I really respect where he was coming from. And again, it's the tennis community. We want the community to, to really thrive. And, and it's a small community. We were talking about this offline. And if we can somehow put everybody together and have everybody working together, that's exciting to me. And that's the legacy I want to have. You know, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about us, tennis, you know, and, and that's kind of where I'm at, I guess, if the long or the short way of explaining part of who I am. Well, well, Brett, I will say it is not common that tennis coaches give other coaches compliments, right? We're always commenting, hey, I'm better. I can oh. say you a better forehand than him. And <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he missed this. He told you to play her this way and you should have played her this way. So to get a compliment from another coach, number one, means you got to know what you're talking about. So, so Brett, tell us a little bit about your background and, and the system he's talking about. Yeah, well, I think uh, because, you know, Gordon, you know, had, had that way about him, we saw eye to eye, like right away, because it's the same way I feel, you know, I want to share what I've learned through my lifetime and experience. I don't want to keep it a secret. And we both said, you know, let's work together and all your collective lifetime experience, mine, let's put them together, like one plus one equals 11. And we, and from then it was like, you know, the rest is history and here we are. And, you know, I was, four, well, younger, I played a bit on the tour. I got a back injury, but ne always wanted to stay in the game. So I coached, I worked with, you know, uh, developed a number of top 10 juniors in the world. I was fortunate to work, you know, take juniors from there to the pro level and get them to the top 100 in the world. I've worked with top 10 players in the world. And, you know, I've had a lot of experience. I've got four teaching certifications, two from the US, one in Canada, one in Australia. But I said, you know, there's still things that are really lacking. And going to the analytics, I said, you know, when we talked about this analytics platform, I said, you know, what the players are getting in coaching is a lot of numerical data. And numerical data, you know, percentages of this and numbers of that only, only scratch the surface. I said, but look, What's lacking? Is, is that really going to drive a team of what I've got to go out and work on on the court? Is that really going to give me insights to dig in on how to beat my opponent? And I said, you know, it, it, it can somewhat give that. And also, what do you do with that numerical data? Where does it lead you? How does it think? I said, but what, what if we bring tactics into the game? What if we bring shot selection into the game? And what if we bring all of those components that matter to a player's performance into the game, now we've got an analytics that's so rich, it's so deep that you have immediately a, a clear understanding of your own game and a clear understanding of how to beat your opponent. And that's where we went with Novak. He's seen a lot, 
But when we revealed this layer of analytics to him, I mean, you know, the, the story was when we, we'd showed Marion Vida, who'd worked with Novak a long time, he was all in like within 20 minutes. He was like, this is incredible. But he said, you know, Goron is the guy that he's going to be tough because he's he's not a big fan of analytics. In fact, <laughs> he's really tough. He's like, he said, if you can get past him, he goes, you've got my vote. So Gordon and I, we went over and had a meeting with Novak and Goran at Indian Wells. They just this is, the day, this is the day they canceled Indian Wells because of COVID. Right. So big, big house, right? Uh, I remember. I remember but, that but day. I, and Goran's here in the house, jet lag, came from Croatia, jet lag, arm crossed. What do we do as coaches? We 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 read body language, right? We know when yeah. to back off, when to go in. And man, he's like, you know, tired and not not in a good mood. My boss is here, Novak. Here we go. What do you got, man? You got yeah. five minutes. You got five minutes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, right? And, and after about five or six minutes, he, he his arms start uncross. Then after about 10 minutes, he's leaning into the computer and he looks at me, he goes, how did you come up with this? And he said it in a, in a little bit more language than that. Because right? <laughs> right, he's seen match tagging, right? And he's right. like, okay, I, I know match tagging. That doesn't right. impress me, right? So he's got, you got to give me something more than match tagging. Exactly, exactly. So, and at the time, we didn't have the ability to see video of what we were giving, but even that was like, okay, wow. This I've never thought of tennis like this. This is crazy. Got it. Now, if you could put video to this, he goes, no, Nole, you know I'm not into the. If you could, they could put video and tag this to it, we're in. And Novak looked at us like, what? Okay. And now Novak, to back up for a second, I had to talk with him, and I said, Nole, you're like my little brother. You know, we're we're very close. I don't want you to do this because of our relationship. I want you to do it because you really feel. It's going to be helpful. So I'm not going to go to you. I'm going to go to Marion first, who I've known for many years. I've been part of the team behind the scenes, giving my heart and soul to helping you guys in any way I can, right? Let me spend some time with him, Brett and I, and see what he says. And then I'll go to you. But you're not going to learn anything. I want that your team, because we if we don't get your team buying in, you buying in and them, they're going to feel threat. That's what we do, we do not and want. sabotage. Right. It's sabotage. We want right. the coaches to buy in, and we work for the coaches, not for you. Because you, you're right, it, it becomes... That, that order, the, the org chart has to be that way. We can't go directly to the player. Right. Got it. Okay, Gord, I like that. Right? So we went through that whole order. And before you know it, when we showed this and we said, you know what? It's on our roadmap in nine months to have the video attached. But we can have it done in four weeks if you really want it. It goes, done. We did it. And then we're flying from there. I mean, it was, a, it was a, yeah. really a fun, fun period for us to see the process of the development and the and the frame of mind to see a Wimbledon past Wimbledon champion in Goron, to see Marion who's had all the success with Novak, to see Novak who at the time had what seventeen slam or uh, what what did he have sixteen slams at the time? I think seventeen. Right. All of a sudden he's like, oh my god, I'm in. This is something that's really wild. And so he became a client. And he says, you know what? I'd also like to be an investor in this. I, I like where this is going. And th we're in a long-term trajectory here. We're, we really want to create an environment that empowers people. But you don't have to be the number one player in the world or even a top 100 or even a pro. These are concepts that a beginner could use. That's the best part of it, right? right. So these concepts, it's like think and play like a pro. is something that we want people to be able to do. And you may not be able to hit a second serve or a, a serve like Novak Djokovic, but you can think and play like him. And that's, that's where we're, we're going with this.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. So, so Brett, tell us for the layman that's listening to this podcast, give us the ABC one, two, three of the system. All right. Well, it's a simple formula at the 30,000 foot view. First is you have to know where to see the ball, where you're going to, where you're going to meet the ball. So what zone you're in. So I think behind me, you can see those five zones on the court there. One, two, three, four, five, they're color coded. So is, is one is one red at the end of the five is red. Five is red. So zone five is where Rafa or Nevedev like to return from, right? Camping out at the back fence. <laughs> so, so so after a, you know a decade and a half of research, these zones aren't just there to look pretty and color to look pretty. We found that the technique and tactics that's cha- that changes within these zones are most apparent within the parameters of what we have marked down in these zones. So instead of just saying the forecourt, the midcourt, and the backcourt, you can see that we've developed five precisely defined zones to the backcourt area. We have zone five, the red, four that's amber, and dark green that's three. And that is infinitely important to understand the shot selections and decisions that should be made from those zones. So you've got to know about zones. The second piece of the puzzle is modes of play, right? When you receive a ball, you're going to be in five tactical modes, right? That is defending. When it's the most difficult ball, it's basically a stick save. Counterattacking. When you've received a very difficult ball. But a you difficult ball. <laughs> yeah. But it's a difficult ball, but you can fight fire with fire, right? So you can get behind it. You can return offensively, right? Defending is you can't, you're basically off position. You're just trying to get the ball deep and stay in the point. Rallying, which is your rally level, which is a ball that everyone should look at is whatever level player you are. If I stand just behind the baseline, what am I comfortable with? Just going back and forward saying, man, I can do this all day long with my coach or my hitting partner and I'm really comfortable. That's my rally ball. Anything easier than that, is challenge. I'm going to challenge you, not try to go for a winner, but hurt you. And attack is I'm going to outright win the point. So when you see a ball come to you, this becomes something that is unconscious when you train it. You see? Now, is that attitude tied to a zone? Or right. is it more so left, it right? right? Because right? your zones so, are sort of so, so, north so, south. Right? When you put so the two not. together, then you have to figure out what shot type you're going to hit. And that's the next. Right. right? And the third part. So now when we talk about tennis is a question answer game. The ball you receive is a question and the shot you hit back is the answer. So the zone and the mode gives you this incredible clarity about understanding the question. How do you give a good answer when you don't understand the question? Most players play this sport and have no clue what that question means. They just see a ball and hit it. And they go, there, there, I'm going to hit it there. And that's about the long and the short of it. But when you understand that question, now you can give a great answer. And that's the shot types. And in the ground strokes alone, we have 10 specific shot types. 
right? And we've defined every one. So giving a golf analogy, imagine if the caddy said to the, the to his player, just, just reach in and pull out a club. I think we're about 150 yards and guy doesn't look and he just reaches out and grabs a three iron and hits it. He's going to hit it into the next fairway, right? So that's how a lot of tennis players play. They have shot, they have strokes, but they don't have shots. They have technique that are fundamentals they don't know how to adapt and this is how we create players so that's the essence of the formula and then we peel the layer back of the onion to go dive in deep but this works for any player whether you're a club player a beginner a senior player or you know that joke it applies to every level how many play how many players can relate to hitting with their country club pro and they're hitting the ball unbelievably. Then they go into competition and they look like, Oh my God, who's this? This guy can't play tennis, you know, because they, they have no idea, but the country club pro puts the ball right in their zone. They feel good. They would, oh, here we go. But all of a sudden they have different shot types coming at them and different situations, different zones, different modes. And they're lost. They're like a lost puppy because they never were taught how to receive a ball. They were taught well, how, how to much sit, that, sit, How much is, is our fault as coaches? Because, we in that hour want to make people feel good, right? You got it. Keep them coming. You got it. We're feeding them the ball right in the strike zone. They leave feeling like they got better when they didn't, right? right. And then they play uh, someone who pushes or moon balls or drop yep. shots or chips. You got right? it. Right, and then they can't adapt. Right? You got you know, it. It's an open skill that. sport. You need to adapt right. it. We've sat. We've sabotaged their ability to play, right? So that's what we've done. And, and look, while stroke fundamentals are, are, are important, right? We go to the point where the player feels they have to make that fundamental occur in a match when it couldn't be further from the truth. This is just a fundamental. It's about adapting to the situations. And if you can't do that, you can't be a player. You can be a hitter. And that's why when we see a lot of kids hit cross court to cross court, you go, wow, they hit a good ball. And then they start playing points. They go, yeah, we've got a clue. You've got <laughs> no clue. And look, even some of the pros that hit a good ball, that are in shape, that like are unreal athletes and, 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 and have, you know, talent up the wazoo, you see them play and you go, you're clueless. You have no idea what you're doing. And they only fulfill half of their ability. And a part of it is, I do believe the, 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 the fundamental way that we introduce the game of tennis to a learner, right? It's fundamentally incorrect 95% of the time, in my opinion. And I've been around the world. There are pockets and individual coaches that do a brilliant job. But, but the, the strategy at large, the philosophy of introducing the game at large is fundamentally flawed because we, get, we develop hitters and not players, and that is a problem because at the end of the day, if I said, if I said to you, hey, Camille, I'm going to add a little bit more rotation on your backhand. I'm going to give you three miles an hour on your serve, but your neighbor still keeps kicking your butt every <laughs> weekend. Or I say, I'm going to teach you zones and modes and shot types. And a month later, you start thumping your neighbor, you know, on the weekend, you're going to be you're going to love the game. You're going to, you're going to get so fired up because you're winning more. People don't like losing. People want to raise their level of play. And that's the vision of what we're doing, Gordon and I. We want to, we want to raise the level of the ocean of coaching and playing. 
And what goes with this match analytics is a whole e-learning platform we're developing that everyone in the world will be able to use and get the, get the insights and the secrets of what we've found that we've delivered to the best players in the world and share them with everyone, coaches and players. That's what we're working on so now. Just to give you a little insight on that court that's behind Brett, we also have an indoor court right next to the grass court there. It's This is 25 minutes from the U.S. Open. This is where Novak's been coming since he was 20 years old, you know, and, and we put in 20 cameras, play site cameras at 1080p, 60 frames per second. So we're going to have all these different shot types, 3,800 different ones, right? Documented, six different angles, where now as a player, you say, you know what? I want that seven iron uphill lie in the rough with a draw. Can you please bring out Tiger Woods, six different angles and show me that shot in slow motion and different. And, you know, can you give me a master coach that's going to give me three or four things to think about for that specific shot? And can you also give me some drills to work on that shot? Well, who's not going to want that? Where now, you know, somebody's struggling with that one player that, you know, that dirty slice that Federer gives short. Well, we call that an up and down. It's a ball that's below the knees that you got to come up and down on. Well, wait a minute. I got to work on that shot. Can you please bring out Novak Djokovic? How does he handle that shot? Because I'm, I'm just struggling with it. I don't know what it is. Boom. Within a few clicks, you got it because there's a language behind it. And then I can get to the specificity of what my challenge is versus just saying, oh, my forehand's not working. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, my irons are not working. What iron? What uphill lie down? Are you hitting on a mat all the time? Well, in the real world of golf, you're going to have different, you know, types of grass and different angles. And <laughs> this is, you have to adapt. You're not going to have that, you know, thing on a silver platter like like you'd hope. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you talked about getting behind the ball and adapting. And, you know, for you guys, Novak is probably the best mover in the game. And so this system works well for him because he can move and he's got wheels, right? Or Grigor or Casper, these are like sort of the elite. But how well will a club player be able to utilize it? Let's say they're a middle-aged man, attorney, works eight hours, 12 hours a day, doesn't work out, plays tennis for his fitness and doesn't have a separate fitness session. How well will this work? It, it ultimately, you have to say, do they understand the question that they're being asked? Right. So something that might be a, an easy ball to Novak might be a very difficult ball to that that lawyer. But they have to understand this is a very difficult ball. So because it's a very difficult ball, this is what my response should be. This is what my skill set can handle. So don't try to be something you're not like make the right answers to those questions. Right. I mean, Brad, I don't know if you want to expand well, on that, but yeah, well, we can reduce the time it takes to respond from when the ball is on the opponent's racket. So you'd say. The club player isn't physically going to get faster unless they do one thing. They improve footwork efficiency. Now, the efficiency of the movement can reduce time, right? So how well they split step, how well they leave the split step. You don't need to get any faster, but the efficiency movement can cut down time. Here's another thing. We can teach them how to anticipate anticipation gives you a little bit of a look to the future a little bit of a read into what's going on that can reduce time by basically identifying and understanding the ball's flight and speed and spin can help you move into position in earlier than you normally would so there's things that we can give club players and people that will never physically get faster they're not going to 
be able to run from A to B, but we can help them move more efficient. We can help them anticipate a little better and we can help them read the ball a little earlier. And when you can do that, you cut down the time that it takes to respond to a ball. So in other words, it feels like, oh my God, I'm way faster getting in position, but we haven't improved your actual speed. So it's basically your eyes and your brain is making you quicker, not your legs. Yeah, because you know what, like if we're, if we're all being honest on the call, right? We all are on the court still. Like when I'm not on tour, I spend hours on the court with kids. And right. eight out of 10 kids are mediocre athletes. Right. Right. Um, but I would say from where, where I look at this system, understanding what shots that are possible Absolutely. could make a slow player, player seem fast. Absolutely. Right? Um, well, you know, a beautiful example a coach can give to a player, and I used to do it all the time. I'd show my student how I'd hit the ball with my opposite hand. They go, coach, you stink. I mean, that looks terrible. You know, and it's okay, let's play a few points. And you don't lose your anticipation, your decision-making, your movement skills, your positioning the ball. You don't hit it as well, but they realize, oh my gosh, it's still really difficult to win points off you when you use your opposite hand. So it's a good way to prove it's not always what you do off the racket. There's all these other components that go to making a player be able to play a good point or make a good rally. So it's a great little way to, for, for, for coaches that are working with students to say, hey, it's not all about thumping the ball always, right? And I loved using that illustration to go, coach, I mean, it's still like really tough to win a point off you with your wrong hand. How could that be? <laughs> right? well, well, let me ask you a question because we, we let's talk about like Medvedev per se, right? One of the things that I think makes Daniil unique is in zone five, right? In that red zone, you yeah. normally would teach a player that ball has to have height, right? If you're in zone five, the ball you hit, the ball you, you know, uh, return needs to have a lot of height and spin to get over the net and still get depth. But Daniil doesn't. Right. He still hits the ball flat Rips and it. somehow can still put the ball on the baseline on the opposite side of the court, yep. right? Without adding any extra height. You know what right. I mean? So how, how how do you explain that? Yeah, I mean, his, his, his timing and technique and the, the way the ball that leaves his racket, he's capable of driving the ball through the court with a tremendous amount of pace, not a high spin rate on the ball, and still find the court, the corners, the width of the court. He can still rip the ball out of those corners, whereas a Nadal would do the opposite. You put him in zone five, way deep in zone five, say on the forehand, he's ripping a looping ball heavy to your backhand, a completely different way of getting out of trouble, which would we say counterattack. Daniel is counterattacking more with drives and arcs and, and, and Rafa is counterattacking with, with almost loops all the time, sometimes arcs and loops. Occasionally, he'll rip an angle from there because of the spin. He can drop the ball early, but they have different ways of counterattacking. And that goes to show you that is one more right or wrong than the other way? They're both very successful. But what if you said to Rafa, 
I hate that spin, drive through the court. What if he said to Medvedev, stop driving the ball low, I want heavy and deep. You just <laughs> threw both players up completely. Right, right. You see what I mean? Yeah. And this gets back to the art of coaching. Recognize who you're working with, what their strengths is. Quality, the mindset. And, and, and build the player around that, right? Yeah. And I always say too, you know, because when I was, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not old now, but I'm, I'm 42 now. But when I was a younger coach, right? And I was, let's say 27. And people would come to me. This is prior to Sloan. This is prior to, you know, prior to me sort of getting like a profile. It would come to me bringing me information that somebody else said, right? And, and basically asking me to validate or prove that what I'm saying is the right way. And the kid's like nine years old, right? And so I always used to say, listen, my answer is going to sound different because my brain works differently, right? And, and, and my view comes from a different level of perspective. And I also tell people there's, all, there's a lot of answers that make sense, but there's only one right answer in this game, right? And so if you told Daniil Medvedev, you need more height and spin to get yourself out of zone five, that answer would make sense, but it's wrong, right? And if you, and if you told Rafa, you need to flatten the ball out in zone three. That answer would make sense, but it's wrong. I see a lot of that in, let's say, our country, right? So yeah. I see, like my last podcast, I was talking to somebody about a player, and 90% of the conversation was about how they hit the ball. Yeah. And at the end, of he, was, he was done talking. I said, so what? And like, what do you mean, so what? I'm like, all we talked about was how that person hit the ball. Like, who cares how they hit the ball, right? At this level, it's yep. can they play? And when we look at the lens of American tennis, right, and we look at the players that, you know, kind of semi-controversially went abroad to get support, like a Coco Golf, right? We know she spends a lot of time in France. Or we look at Osaka, you know, maybe people didn't believe in her so much in the U.S., so she went to, you know, uh, went to Japan to get some support. When I look at those kids at 11, 12 years old, I'm like, okay, they're going to be able to play the court and mm -hmm. play the game. And I can always teach them how to hit the ball, right? But I think at their young ages, they were looked at through the stroke lens is they don't have the cleanest strokes, right? They don't hit the ball as good. And I think that a lot of, when you look at how U.S. tennis is today compared to the rest of the world, we're losing because we're looking at them through the wrong lens. If we're trying to create a pro, right? The pro lens is different than- Even I believe, even if you're trying to create a good college player, you're, you're inhibiting their ability to develop at their, best, at their highest level. I mean, at every level of the game, because it becomes so stroke-based, right? Where the player works in a situation is that's that's very easy to work in in a lesson and they're taught that way they get into a match and they can't perform so it's more about putting a player in a situation and say how would you get out of that now if you see Medvedev get out of it and Nadal you go dang both are incredible solutions that's Completely phenomenal different. <laughs> but to say I've got a better solution for you or the solution is x y and z could absolutely ruin a player's future or career in the sport, right? And I think 
the stroke-based approach, right, which is basically, you know, developing a technique fundamentals around very dead ball drills to very easy hand-fed drills is absolutely a dead way of developing players, right? You, you can, now I'm not saying you never do that because you can develop some nice fundamentals in, in simple situations. However, if you're not teaching the concept of adaptation with your footwork, your racket mechanics, you know, your impact point levels, and all of these factors, you can't play. Let, let's be clear. It's not that we're saying you don't do some drop feeding and some racket. Yeah, no, feeding. You gotta be able to hit the ball. There's a, there's a time and place to do that, yeah. especially if you, you, you're able to diagnose and say specifically this shot you're struggling with. Let's spend some five minutes in a closed environment working on it. But now we're going to do some variety and, and, and you're going to have to adapt while doing that. Right. And, right. and understand. It, like, uh, yeah. yeah, I liken it to saying you're teaching a kid how to ride a bike and you've got training wheels on and they're just a little kid. And. And it's nice to have training wheels. You don't want to see your kid's head go on the pavement, right? So you have training wheels on and they're, they're riding a lot on those wheels. And after a couple of weeks or so, you're seeing, wow, those training wheels are barely touching the ground. They're literally not using them at all. Imagine if you said as a mom or dad, I think we should leave them on another couple of years, <laughs> right? Versus going, man, it's time to get them off and run behind them for a few minutes, let them go. This is what happens in tennis is... Kids are learning with their training wheels on for years, right? And, and that's where they get stuck in this way of learning the game. Get the training wheels off as quickly as you can, get to the next level, learn how to adapt in different zones with different modes of play. And let me tell you, even if you're a child learning the game, well, what when you receive a ball when you're a little kid, what mode of play are you in the most? Defending, most balls are red balls, right? You don't learn how to crush and attack a ball when you're a beginner. You're never in the attack mode. So why would we teach to hit that way? Learn how to defend. Then when you can defend, now you can learn how to rally. Now you can have an exchange. Now you get confidence. Now you love the game. You know what I mean? Like, is it is our even approach the right approach? I think not. And one thing, I'd, one thing I'd mentioned, Camus, is, is there's two people that have been also a big influence in what we're doing. One is Dr. Jim Lair, who's on our board. Mm -hmm. Right. So on the whole psychological side, on the physical, emotional, mental and spiritual, because the game is not all about tactics either. There's many facets right. to this game. But, you know, Dr. Lair is one of our biggest champions, loves what we're doing and, and, and so on and so forth. And then the other is Dr. Knodel, who has a, a Ph.D. in motor learning. So so much of what we're we're creating is based on science. Right. So it's really understanding how the brain operates. And, and having somebody's life's work become the, the foundation of what we're talking about. We're not just throwing the, oh, we've experienced everything and just coming up with something out of, out of the blue. This is science-based with experience and then seeing the success and then all of a sudden working with young players to then the number one player in the world and seeing all of them, the whole spectrum change dramatically. Like all of a sudden, boom! And then their sense of purpose is so heightened. So now when Novak walks off the court, and we show him some data and he's like, I got to get to the practice court now. I got to work on that immediately. Wow, I didn't realize that was a hole in my game that's starting to slide on me a little bit. I want to be bulletproof, right? So it's looking at the whole big picture and, and, and having solutions at all times, very specific solutions. Yeah. Well, we talked about, so you talked about Novak and how he comes. And, and you know, it's like sort of just uh, folklore, right? How he comes and he stays at your house uh, <laughs> during the U.S. Open. And prior to a slam, you know, players who are playing for history, playing for dollars, it could be like a very 
tense environment. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to plant the wrong seed in their head. Everyone's sort of careful with their words, right, to protect the player's confidence, mental state of mind. What is that like? And what sort of weird pre-U.S. Open sort of uh, superstitions does Novak have? Well, I, I think he thinks of us as his American family. So first of all, when you come to an environment where you feel at home and you feel safe and you're, you're kind of like you're, you're in your, your safe uh, space, right away you're, you're, you're able to just be natural, right? So I think what we, what we do is create an environment for him that feels just good to begin with. And then when on top of that, my life has been about searching for those little golden nuggets right? Golden nuggets and anything about life, right? So in, in many ways, I look at parenting and coaching as the person first, the athlete second, right? And, and really looking at what their needs are. Are they feeling good about themselves? Are they in a good mental state? Are they physically prepared? Are they emotionally, spiritually, all those things? So first of all, if that's all, and the, oh, you know what, you're struggling there. Let's, let's address it. Let's talk about it. Let's bring in somebody like Dr. Larry. Doc, come on. What do you, what do you think here? Because we're struggling here. Or and it, it's something on the a tactical side. Or That's what I've done over the years for Novak is, is you know, bring in, hey, Brett, come over here for a second. Let, let's talk to Novak about this, right? Or, and, and all of a sudden, when you do that, first of all, it's not about me, right? It's about me finding people that you're specialty is that. Come on in. Let's, let's, let's figure this out. That's the kind of thing that I think Nolly really appreciates because it's 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 really heartfelt. It's not coming from a place of, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get uh, notoriety or it's not my purpose at all, right? My purpose is just to truly help him. And if I could help him, because I know he could help so many millions of people, right? So if we can give him the insights and he says, wow, that helped. And then he shares it to more people and those kids start doing it. Now we're raising the level of tennis. We're raising the level of life and, and purpose and, and feeling good. So that, that, that's kind of, I don't know if I answered the question exactly, but it's a, you know, it, it's an environment, you know, it's, it's about, it's about heartfelt and, and, and bringing in people that, that really are special in their own way and, and being efficient with the time, you know, and, and saying, you know what, we have a certain amount of energy and time. Is this, is this time well spent, energy well spent right now? And as a team, we spend a lot of time talking about it with Marion, Goran, Edo, you know, Marco, all the whole team, we're like, should we talk about Nolay with this? We have hours of like, just about maybe about a two minute conversation, right? And that's the kind of detail that you need to have because it's precious, his energy, right? Especially during a grand slam that we want to make sure that it's, it's laser focused, it's purposeful, and, and he feels good about what he's actually taking on. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, so I think we talk about the environment. Um, You know, from this system, I think that, A, a lot of other players are starting to utilize it, right, and are starting to sort of lean on you guys uh, for this type of thing. When can the layman, right, the club player, the, the top junior, begin to sort of access this? What's well, the time frame? Yeah, I mean, we're working with the pros now, and then the next layer will we'll, we'll be, you know, we want to reveal it to the club players and then, you know, performance juniors and then eventually the club player. But it's 
There's some AI that we're working on that's going to automate some of the systems and every month technology gets better. So we're, we're hoping by the end of this year that we will have the capabilities to be able to in real time with, with the help of AI and machine learning be able to produce the kind of reports we do to the layperson real time, which we're working on. But right now, our focus is for the beginning half of this year is again with the, with the tour players, but as, as, the, as the technology improves, the speed of developing the reports improve. And uh, yeah, we want to get there to be able to share that. And then the last question, you know, we talked about offline about how we're a small community and like sort of a close-knit family and have to treat each other with care. What is you all's view on what is taking place in Australia, right? Um, obviously, <laughs> Lots of miscommunication, um, everyone sort of publicly defending themselves, which I think our sport is small enough where you can have a direct conversation uh, and find the person, right? <laughs> right now, you're only getting, what, two or three credentials, right? So you got like 300 people on site, period. Um, what do you all think about sort of what's transpired? I, I think it's, it's such a challenging time we're living in. Um, and I think everybody's reacting a lot. And, and, it, and it's just, uh, it, it's, it's sad, you know, we, you know because I, I, I want to see tennis be more unified, you know, and I think we all do. And, and there's a lot of different currents of agendas going on that we just need to try to navigate through. Um, you know, in terms of the COVID restrictions and vaccine, no vaccine, everybody has the right to do what they want, in my opinion, right? And, and you know, I, I think that science is, is very powerful. But you know what? There's two sides to every story, and it's really—I I think nobody really knows the answer right now. Of what, what is right and wrong? And everybody's doing their best. Uh, you know, it's a very difficult situation that Novak's in right now, um, because I know how he—he's so much about a holistic approach of life, right? Of organic foods and you know whatever he puts in his body. He's a big believer in in, in the health of his body and his mind, his spirit. Um, it's just a challenging period. You know, it, it, it's, I don't know what else to say. And, and there's, and, you know, Nole is, is, is somebody that really uh, is going to do what he believes in. He's not going to be one to get pushed around. Right. And, and, and I respect that about him, you know, and, and whether right or wrong, or, you know, he, he's doing what he believes in, which I, I think is, is, is amazing. There's some things that are controversial and all those things. And, and, you know, I, I reserve a right. I'm not going to get into the, those opinions, you know, but I, I, I really respect the fact that he is standing with what he believes in. Yeah, I think there was some mistakes made in, on all, all what layers and all, all the levels that had to do with him, you know, getting from where he was to get to Australia, right? But what kind of sanded, saddened me as an Aussie, right, was... You know, Australia is like one of the friendliest and most welcoming places in the world. And I just see the way they've handled the incident. I, I you know, I, I just felt politicians got too involved. And, I, and I, I was saddened by just the way it was handled there. I think it could have been handled a lot better. And, and, and at, at the end of the day, you know, we don't want to damage our game. We don't want to damage our sport. We don't want to point fingers. It was like, it was more like, it was more about finger pointing than it was problem solving. 
You know what I mean? And 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 this isn't good for 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 anyone or anything. And I just think you know to get to a problem-solving solution right away would have been a lot better way to handle it than than finger pointing. And and I just think you know if that had happened, you know, uh, I, and I don't even know right now. I think he's in the draw. You know, his name is posted, so it appears like he's playing. Um, Fingers crossed, but with the, the threat that one person in the government still has the power to revoke his visa and send him away for up to three years, I just think is is not the right way to go. I mean, to say you've got an athlete that is is safe, he's healthy there, he's made it there, he's negative, he wants to play. I mean, you know, sports should should come before you know politics and some of these rules that they they i just think i mean sport should be a unifier of the world sport and music right i mean it, it it should be so look hopefully you know he'll he'll get in he'll 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 be in a good framework mind you know frame of mind and be able to compete great and 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 bring his greatness to the world and and bring excitement because i think a lot of people in the world will will want to see if he can do 21 there, you know, he was one match short in the US Open and uh, Daniel uh, played a great match. And uh, you know what I mean? I mean, people are gonna wanna see, you know, can he do it here? And, you know, be a great uh, event for him to do it there. I think he's won nine there already. And, uh, you know, it'd be awesome. So, yeah. you know, we want, we want good for the game, you know? And uh, I think it's a great story for the sport of tennis, him being there and competing in the, in, in, in the Aussie Open. Yeah, you know, what I find it interesting is the impact that this could have on tennis history because if Novak doesn't play, right. and let's say Rafa wins, <laughs> you, you like Rafa at the French Open as well. <laughs> so now you get a two-slam lead, right, on what's now a three-way tie. You know what I mean? So so this is it's a lot of pressure on the health minister to sort of, <laughs> you know, make this decision because you know, let's say Novak gets this one is 21, Rafa gets the French is 22, right? Fed comes back Wimbledon, he get you know, he gets his 21 there. So all three have 21 at the end of Wimbledon, potentially. Or Novak doesn't play, Rafa somehow wins this one and wins the French and I has 22 to 20. You know what I mean? So I think that some of the financial implications and bonuses that are associated with this one decision to me are fascinating. Um, you're right. Yeah. You know, from a coach's standpoint and from Absolutely. the whole team, right? You know, yeah. one yeah. player wins, everybody wins, right? So, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, so it's, it's a big one. <laughs> it's, it's a big decision. So, hey, you know what? We're, we're here in the States, staying tuned, sitting yeah. on our hands, trying to figure out what's going to happen. But I wanted to really just thank you guys for coming on. Um, you know, I, I wish you guys luck with the product. Hopefully it's widespread. If I can help you guys out, let me know. Camille, I just want to give you an open invitation to come visit us anytime. You know, it's nice to finally get to know you a little bit because, like you said, you've seen me in the player line. I see you, but we didn't really know each other, so we've never formally been introduced to each other. But now that we've had this connection, you're, you're welcome anytime. You know, please, and, and bring some kids. Share, we'll share knowledge. We'd love to learn more about, you know, your, your philosophies. And obviously, you've had a tremendous amount of success, and you're doing incredible things in your community. We want to do the same in the community, in our area, in the world. So, you know, we're, we're, we're now tennis brothers. You know? <laughs> Good stuff, you guys. All right, guys. All right, Brad Gordon, thank you, guys. This has been a Tennis.com podcast. We are with the analytics gurus, Gordon Uli and Brett Hobden. 
Yeah. And we will see you next time. You got it. Thanks, Matty. Bye. Bye.